0: Hey, um, I don't know about you, but one of the things that the culture has been hyping up is all this new year, new you. I saw something about new year's revolutions and all these things. And uh, there are times where what the culture is advertising and what sometimes people in the room feel are two different things. And so what I wanted to do before we begin is that you know, oftentimes we talk about this adrenaline in the new year and this excitement for the new year, but for a lot of people I know, you're still trying to recover from 2022. And you sit in a room and there's all this new year, new excitement, new you, but you just find yourself still a little tired. Uh, maybe you've got some family stuff you're navigating, some, some job uncertainty. Maybe it's some loved ones that are navigating some stuff. Maybe you're just in a spot where it's just like you are hungry for God. Or you're just in a spot where you want more of him in this year. Maybe this year's been difficult so far. Maybe you're navigating something. But I just wanted to do something as we start off. If you're in a place where you just... You want more of God in, in 2023, if you're just in like a dry spot or you're just navigating a challenging, busy season, if you're tired, if that's you, would you do something? Just raise your hand real quick, um, because there's a reason I want you to raise your hand. Um, the reason I wanted you to raise your hand as we kick off today, so easy just to dive Mach 3 in. And I want to encourage you with this. The Bible's very clear that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? they'll be filled. One of the things I love doing is when I go over to my father-in-law's house, he loves his family, he loves loves Jesus tremendously, but that man loves food more than anybody on planet Earth. (laughs) There has never been anybody that has gone to my father-in-law's house that has left hungry by their choice. There is always way too many leftovers. Can I just encourage you, If you're here this morning and you find yourself in a spot where you want more of God, you're dry, you just feel like there's something that's missing, there has never been anybody who has been desperate for the kingdom of God who has ever left without being filled, no one. It is only the apathetic or the disinterested or the distracted that miss out. It is the desperate that discover God. It is the, the available that get all of God. It is those who draw near that will be delivered and find God. You know, one of the things I love about my little girls, Selah and Gray, is they love playing hide and seek. But they're terrible at hide and seek. (laughs) Literally, the other day we were hiding, she was hiding, and Gray was behind the little curtains, and her feet were sticking out. And you go, okay, you're terrible at this. There is only one thing in all the Bible I believe God is terrible, and that's hide and seek. He longs to be found by you. And I believe for those who are hungry and desperate, I just wanna encourage you, you don't come to meet man, you don't come to just worship and sing some songs, you come to encounter a holy God. And if you're in a slump, it's actually a good place to be because what God does is he takes people who are disinterested or are at the end of themselves and you know what they find? They find real power. So can I just encourage you with this? I'm impressed with people who have character, but I'm not happy until people have power, real spiritual power. I believe what the church needs is people with real character, but also with real spiritual power. People who believe that the promises of God, they wrestle them down till they begin to incarnate them in your bones. And that's the invitation that I wanna encourage you, that the available will be filled this morning, the hungry will be filled. Because a lot of people know what it's like to be in a slump, right? If If you watched the game of baseball, you played the game of baseball, if a batter can't get on base, if they can't do, what they normally do, or what the game is supposed to do, which is get on base and score runs, if they keep popping up, grounding out, striking out, if that becomes their rhythm and their routine long enough, if that becomes their reality, what do they refer to as to? a slump? And everybody who's played the game of baseball for very long will tell you a slump is a part of real life. And anybody who's followed Jesus for a period of time will tell you there are slumps. There are places where it's just like you're asking for deliverance. And it's like you find victory. You ever been there? You find victory, or so it seems for a while, but you don't uproot that sin pattern, and so there's this addiction or this thought pattern or people uh, I know who've prayed for God to give them more peace and to remove anger or anxiety or worry, and it seems like it goes great for a while. And then they find themselves two, three months down the road kind of back to those same behaviors, back to those same problems. It just seems like you're in a slump. There are other people that... What you once did to get passionate about God, to come to church, to be surrounded in community, to worship God, to to spend time with him, it would just awaken you, but now you just feel dry. And it feels like, you ever been in that spot where it just feels like no matter what you do, other people are on fire, but God just seems unresponsive. It seems like he's silent. feels like you're in a slump. There are other times where... If you're anything like me, I've been in a room like this singing about Jehovah Jireh, he is enough, but my mind and my heart are a million miles away. Truth is, you can be right next to your family and not be there. You can be in this room singing about God being enough and not actually experience that because you're so filled up with uncertainty about what the future holds, finances, your kids, all the things that have to be done, that you sit here and we talk about the peace of God, but you just would be honest, you're in a slump. And that's why what's so interesting even about New Year's resolutions, if you really look at them, New Year's resolutions are designed to create rhythms that get you out of certain slumps. You've had some bad experiences or you've gotten a little too crazy with the Oreos over the holiday break, so it's time to get that new rhythm. But what I always find so interesting about New Year's rhythms, at least with me, is that when I aim for like more of this, more peace, more life, more freedom in these rhythms, I don't always fulfill that promise. And it feels like two months down the road, I'm back to my old way of living. But what is so interesting is when I talk to people who are followers of Jesus and I ask them, what are you focused on this year? And sure, they have resolutions. But one of the things they say to me is one of the top things I want this year is I wanna dive deeper and be more hungry for Jesus than I ever have before. And you know what I always find? Even though they aren't necessarily aiming for it, what they end up finding is more peace and more joy and more life than people like me who create these rhythms to try to find that peace and joy. That's why C.S. Lewis says this. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. I love what he says here. Aim at heaven... You'll get earth thrown in, aim at earth, and you will get neither, what is he saying? You can focus on a million things, a million good things, but if you miss what is most important, that is Jesus, you end up missing out on this invitation and this life that is available to you this new year. Listen, I'm not hating on New Year's resolutions, we do them almost every year. In fact, I remember a couple years ago, my wife actually dorked out, she themed a New Year's resolution. She had a presentation, poster boards, She themed it, launch into the new year. She had four things that we were launching into. One was Brian to start working out. (laughs) The second was uh, Brian to go to physical therapy. You're seeing a trend here because uh, they were all about me. And uh, and really, because I didn't have mobility in my arm, I had an accident, so she said, Brian to go to physical therapy. The third launch in was Brian to cook. I think her exact phrases were, Brian to feed himself like I'm eight years old. Finally, my wife added one for herself, Steph, to read the Bible more. And some of you know what it's like to be a victim to these New Year's resolutions that are really just an attempt to get your spouse to do all the things you want them to do. You know, we might as well, we were laughing about that. We called it launch into New Year. We should have just called it launch into marriage counseling because that's what we needed at the end of those things. <laughs> but I actually think they're really good to create new rhythms. I think it's good to create running rhythms and all this, but If you're in a space where you're really raising your hand and you're just dry or you're disconnected or you're in that numb spot, what you know is you don't need a new rhythm. What you need is a new heart. And I just want to encourage you with this. You don't have to whip that up yourself. The gospel is not you get adrenaline and you put the pieces of your life back together. The gospel is this. You come broken, but you come hungry, and God will take that little pilot flame in your heart and he will fan it into something mighty. What the Holy Spirit will do for people who are hungry and desperate enough, because it's the desperate who get delivered, not the apathetic, if you come hungry, what God will do is he will waken you and give you a vision of the kingdom that captures your heart and imagination in ways that you never thought possible. What the Holy Spirit will do, because if you're anything like me for years, I thought spiritually the best days were behind me. What the Holy Spirit will do is show you that in 2023, there's more of him that that you can experience in ways that you never have before. You don't have to live on spiritual reruns. God can pour out his spirit in your life in new and fresh ways. Listen, do all the resolution things. I think they're great. Cut debt, save up some resources, but in the middle of saving up resources, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust consume. I'd encourage you. It's good to get back to that beach bod physique. Get that six pack if you had it once. Shed that weight, lose some weight, but in the middle of losing weight, make sure you also get lost in the majesty and the goodness of God this year. I'd encourage you, go travel the world, go deeper around the world than you have ever been. Create experiences that last a lifetime, but make sure this year you also travel deeper into the word of God, into the promises of God, so that you begin to incarnate them in your bones and your spirit until you have not a shadow of a doubt that every one of those words is for now and not one day in heaven. Them. I think it's great to create more space to do whatever it is that you love. But make sure in the midst of that you also create space to understand how deeply you are loved in this room by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. Because what we need is not new rhythms alone, what we need is a new heart, what we need is a new encounter with God to breathe so much life into us that the things of this world do go strangely dim. We don't need spiritual advil, we need a heart transplant. We don't need more adrenaline because adrenaline is what you do in a moment. That's why I love New Year's resolutions, but I also struggle with this. What happens for so many people is you come, you get pumped up, you try to do it in your strength. Adrenaline is what you can do for a couple months. Transformation is what the Spirit does for you in a lifetime. He will do it, and the only contingency is this. Are you really available? What he said, what Jesus said to his followers years ago is still true. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled what are you desperate for this new year's what are you hungry for i've got good news if you are longing for god in new ways he will do that in fact what i love about this story i'm going to read you just briefly is in this story there are two people who probably had the greatest slump around one person in particular a woman named gomer and she was just constantly making mistake after mistake pushing away from loved ones pushing away from god in the midst of this But as we read this story, what I want to make sure that we do is because if you're anything like me, it is so easy to focus on a million things and miss what's most important, which is Jesus. So what I want to do real quick is make sure that as we talk about this story that you hear the heart behind it. This is not a story where we walk away and we become amazed by the love that this man, Hosea, this prophet had for this woman named Gomer. I don't wanna just give you five things to walk away or give you some Hebrew words. In the midst of this story, I want you to see what's most important, and that's the story of Jesus. Because what you're gonna find is that many of us are just like Gomer in this story. We have given our heart and our affection to other things, and God has radically pursued us, and he has rescued us and redeemed us and closed us with dignity, value, and worth when we never deserved it, that's the gospel. And so as we look at this story, I just want you to see, again, this is not some sappy hallmark story of a man pursuing a woman. This is God who's taking people who are in spiritual slumps and awaking them to the kingdom. And this story goes like this: that Hosea is this prophet of God, and all of a sudden, one day, God says, I've got a call for you. Now, if you read the story, you know what happens here, but just imagine for a moment that Hosea is getting this call from God. He's going, Hey, I got a word for you. Now, Hosea is probably going, All right, man, like what do you got for me, God? You want me to be king? Let me be the worship leader? You want me to collect the money? And then all of a sudden, God goes, hey, I'm gonna gonna do something a little crazy. I actually want you to marry this woman, by the way, she's a prostitute. Jose's going, what? Everyone talks about the call of God like it's always glorious and glamorous, but can I just encourage you, sometimes God calls you into places that it doesn't seem normal, and he produces some of the greatest fruit possible so that he alone can get the glory. So God tells someone that honestly, if it was me, you'd be going, no, no, I want the other call. I don't want this one. But yet, God tells this man, Hosea, I want you to go marry this woman, and here's the deal, this is what's going to happen. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman, have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land will be guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. So all of a sudden, God goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go marry this woman that is gonna take your heart and she's gonna absolutely trample it and destroy it and break it. You go, what? And I imagine the moment plays out a little like this to some degree. That Hosea marries this woman, Gomer, and he's probably a little apprehensive about what's gonna happen. But then for a while, everything seems great. They get married. She kind of leaves her old ways. They find out that they're pregnant. They start thinking about what name they're gonna name this child. They start thinking about the paint that they're gonna actually use in the baby room. And then, I imagine somewhere, Gomer runs into one of her old friends. And all of a sudden, she gets drawn back into this life. And it starts off with just a few late night hangouts before Hosea knows it. He realizes that his wife is not there most nights. He wonders where she is. He wonders who she's with. And then she comes back and one day he finds out this terrible news according to Hosea chapter one, nine. He finds out that she's actually pregnant. He does the math and he realizes the child is not his. Hosea, Hosea chapter one, nine says that he actually names the child, not mine. And then this moment happens where he starts being faithful to her, faithful to her, and then she decides enough with this. I don't know if it's the guilt, the shame, the fear, wondering if she could really change, if she's really built for this kind of love, for this kind of relationship, and so she literally just leaves, the Bible says. And here is this single dad of three, left all alone in this moment. You think of the pride and the embarrassment he must have felt. This prophet of God, people going, did you hear what happened with Gomer? Did you hear what happened with Hosea? The the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt. Now here's the thing. I imagine for many of you, if you're like me, if if the story was about me, the story would be over. There'd be no rescue mission. I think if God came back and said to me, hey, I want you to go back and pursue this woman who's absolutely crushed your heart, I'd be like, I can't do it, God, find someone else. But I remind you, this is not just a story of a man pursuing a woman, it is not just a hallmark moment, it is a story of the radical depths a God would go to get people's heart and win people's heart who weren't all that interested. And so God says this to Hosea in chapter three, verse one, says, the Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again. Notice again, because she's gone. And notice where she is. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, which I'll just go and speak to the sacred raisin cakes. I had a whole lot of problems reading that. I was Wondering if it's like God's against fruit cakes or something like that. But in that culture, I know it's probably, it doesn't sound like it, but in that culture, a raisin cake was a luxury. It was the delis- delicacy. It was the bluebell ice cream of its day. And so in essence, what happened was one of two things. When they would offer sacrifices to other false gods, they would offer these raisin cakes. And then also sometimes people would just get stuck in the comforts And the luxuries of this world. So what God is saying is just like Gomer has been unfaithful. The people of God, the Israelites, have given themselves to other gods. They've given themselves to other luxuries, to other comforts, to finances, to relationships, to pride, to success. And in essence, just like God is saying what Gomer did is adultery. We don't like this because it doesn't feel like the New Year's message we want. What God is saying is when you come into a room and you say that you love Jesus, if you're like me, And then you go about your life disinterested. I can come to church when I want. I can do what I want. What God says is, you know what that is? It's not hurt against the church. It's spiritual adultery. Because you claim that you love Jesus one day, but there is something in your heart that you have drawn affectionately to. Because remember, this is not just a story about a man loving a woman. This is about a people who have rebelled against God and God's depth to redeem and ransom them. And it's not his finger of condemnation. Remember what I told you? God will always fill those who's available. Those who hunger and thirst will always find the love of God, but what he's showing is people who are unrepentant. You ever think about, if you ever talk to someone who's walked through a fair, unfortunately I've had that, experiences of walking that with people in life, and one of the common things I always experience is this, one of the most difficult things is when the spouse who had an, an affair is unrepentant. When they just don't seem to care. And notice in this story, Gomer is not begging for forgiveness. She's not going, hey, Hosea, I know I've torn your heart out. I know I've trampled it. I'll do whatever I can to make it right. Notice where she is. She's continuing in her life, justifying her life. And in essence, this rips out the heart of Hosea. I'm not talking about people who are repentant, but I'm talking about the the areas in your life that we hold on to that we're unrepentant. Do you ever slow down enough to think about what that does to the heart of God? Like, do you ever think about what your sin, because if you're anything like me, and I hate to say this, there are times where, because grace seems so scandalous and free, I just go, oh, you know what? I just tore down that person, but God forgives. I just stole more resources from you, or I stood on a stage and took the glory of God, but you know what? God forgives, but do you ever think about what unrepentant sin actually does to the heart of God? And you know what's so, Moving to me is James chapter four says this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? Now, we've gotta be really clear here. This jealousy that the Bible speaks about is not like a middle school girl jealousy. This is not like, hey, I saw you as someone else. This is a parent or a relative, or a brother or sister watching someone absolutely wreck and destroy their life and a jealousy for them to step out of that and step into what's better. You ever been there? Like someone absolutely breaking and destroying their life and it crushes your heart with a righteous jealousy because you want more of it. God is not in need of my worship. But God knows that the only thing that can fulfill the longing in every one of our lives is him. And he's so good that he jealously longs for you to stop wasting your life on what can't satisfy and step into that greater thing. We say this phrase all the time, but what would happen if I believed it and you believed it? If you really had Jesus, you have everything. And yet, if you have all the stuff of this world and you, have, and you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And oftentimes, I don't believe that. I'm always like, yeah, Jesus, but give me this thing. And it's not that I want to replace Jesus, it's just somewhere in my spirit, I've become someone who's just latched on to something else, and God in his jealousy says, that is a lesser thing. Can I just encourage you with this? God never calls you to leave something behind unless he calls you to something better, and that better thing is always his presence. It's always his presence. For years, I missed this because I fell more in love with the blessings than the blesser. So what happened was when God was blessing me, I was really faithful. At the moment I lost those blessings, I thought, where are you, God? Until I learned this one thing. You don't go to God to get peace or rest or freedom. You go to God to get God. And when you get God, what you find is this paradoxical place where guess what you find? Freedom, joy, life. See, for years, I treated Jesus like he was the means. He's not the means, he is the end. And what he's looking for is people this New Year's who say, you know what, I'm hungry for you and here's the good news, you don't have to whip it up, you don't have to get adrenaline, you just have to be available because it is the available who get all of God. It is the desperate. It is the desperate who discover God in new and fresh ways. It is the desperate who are delivered. It is the apathetic who miss God because for whatever reason I do not understand, God will never force himself on you in such a way where he chooses, he causes you to leave those things. Sometimes he does, but oftentimes, he's a gentleman, he's a good God. And some of you are going, all right, this is a really depressing talk, turn the corner, Brian. Well, let me give you some encouragement. If you're in a place where you long for more of God, this was just breathtaking when I thought about this and I studied this. Do you know what Hosea means in Hebrew? Hosea means salvation. Do you know what Gomer means in Hebrew? means completion. So who is Hosea in this text? It's God. And who is Gomer? That's you and I, which kind of stinks because I don't like that name. (laughs) But this is a story not about people trying to earn a bunch of stuff in the new year, whipping up adrenaline. It's about a people who come to a God who brings salvation, and because of that, they are complete. You don't have to strive to earn stuff. You just have to step into the reality of what God has already given you. And so you are complete in the midst of that. I love what it says. If you read the book of Hosea, that's why oftentimes we don't always preach on it, it's pretty bleak. It's not one that's like, hey, I've never seen someone with the verse, like what's your life verse or over the kitchen mantle Hosea? It's not one that people use for scripture cards because it's bleak, but you know what's so interesting? I turn to the last chapter of Hosea. The whole thing is bleak, but in In chapter 14, listen to what it says, for those Israelites who are hungry. It says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. It is the hungry who are always, always, always filled up. So I want you to see that this New Year's, the most important thing is in the middle of a million great things to focus on what's most important and that's Jesus. Now a couple practical things I will give you if you're in a spot where you find yourself in a slump, you want more of God, you're just a little dry. You just say, hey, Jesus, I want this year to experience you in new and fresh ways. Let me just give you a couple things that as you're focusing on Jesus, you can then add to your arsenal of tools. This is the first one. Invite God into the deepest, darkest spots of your life and let him speak into those. Invite God in the darkest spots of your life and let him speak into those. If you're anything like me, we like to go really fast because we don't always want to feel those things that cause so much pain or so much problems. What's so breathtaking about this text is Hosea goes where no prophet should have gone. He goes looking for his wife on the streets. Everyone would have wondered what's, what's happening here. And listen to where Hosea finds his wife in Hosea chapter three, verses two and three. It says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I'll behave the same way towards you. So where he found her, she was literally being auctioned off as a slave and notice that when he rescues her in verse three, he doesn't just say, hey, you're going to pay back your debt. He doesn't call her property. He doesn't beat her down. He doesn't bring condemnation. He doesn't bring shame. He actually says, I'm going I'm to clothe you in dignity. I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you value. I'm going to give you worth. Because it's not just a story, again, about a man's debt to pursue his wife. It's about what God would do when he rescues us. But I just want you to imagine what that moment, because this is, this is important for me to say, I probably should have said this up front. This isn't like an illustration or a parable. This really happened. And so you imagine what that moment must have been like for Gomer. Where all of a sudden, Gomer, this once mother of three, is now standing in front of these men being auctioned off because no one thought she was valuable in her. And just to be honest, it's a bit crude, but she would have had no clothes on because the people wanted to see what they were bidding on. So you imagine like where this woman is standing there. I imagine as the moment's playing out, she can't even make eye contact with people. She's probably thinking, how in the world did I get to this place? And imagine what what it must have been like when all the sudden numbers are being thrown out. One shekel. Her whole worth is being summed up by what the audience thinks in that moment. Three shekels, four shekels. Finally, in just sort of an odd moment, someone shouts out 15 shekels, which is probably more than everybody else thought she was worth. But I imagine for Gomer, when she heard that voice, she looked up, and to her surprise, it was Hosea, and a place where no prophet should have ever been. Imagine the guilt, the embarrassment, but also imagine the relief she must have felt. Imagine Hosea putting down the receipt and saying, hey, I paid for you again. No more slums, no more streets, No more wondering. Do you know I love this story? It's the gospel. God takes people and what he did is he went where no God should have done. He emptied himself of the glory, the rights that were due his name and he came to this earth. He walked for 33 years. He kept trying to love and go after people but all the while people didn't seem that interested in the love that he was giving. Even his own disciples turned away and abandoned him. Peter said, I'll never leave you and betray you. And yet, it was never about their faithfulness to God. It was always about God's faithfulness to man. And for most of human history, people miss that because we try to get together and whip ourselves up in emotion. But it's on the cross that Jesus dies. And think about this He doesn't die in front of people singing about how valuable and worthwhile He is. He dies in front of people mocking Him. If you're really the King of Jews, come down. But then what he does is he finds people who are in slumps, people who are beat down, people who think, you know what, I've been living on spiritual reruns or I'm overwhelmed and I just think this is a part of the rhythm. And what he does is he says, I paid for you once again. You don't have to stay down there. No more slums, no more streets, no more wandering. It is the available who always find God. I remind you this morning, no one who has ever been desperate for God has been turned away. And some of us have heard this so much that we begin to believe the lie. Do you know what the enemy is called? The accuser. And he accuses you even this morning of things you haven't done or things that you have done. And just can I remind you what Jesus says. If you hear the enemy of the the voice of the accuser, what he's saying is, it's paid for. It's paid for. No more streets, no more slums, no more wandering. Can I just encourage you to invite God into darkest spaces of your life? I would imagine if you talked to Gomer, she would say, that moment was the worst of my life, but it was the most freeing. And if you're in a space where you've just got some pain from your past, you've got some heartache, can I just encourage you, invite God into that. Invite God into that. You know, this might shock you, but one of the things I do almost every week, I don't always pray for fire, I don't walk away and just have all these revelations. Most every week, if you talk to my wife or you talk to i this is what part of my prayer looks like. God, I just confessed to you, there's something I want more than you. It's just gut level honest. I don't come in and pretend and go, you know what, Jesus, I want you more than anything. Jesus, I paid it all. It is, you know what, I just want the comfort of this life more than I want you. Break me of that. Jesus, I just want to be liked sometimes more than I wanna be faithful. Break me of that. Jesus, I just want this house or this blessing more than I want you today. Give me a greater picture of your kingdom, and you know what the Holy Spirit does? He begins to fan into flame, because it's not about adrenaline, it's about people who are available and people who are desperate. I remind you, independence is a valued trait in our culture and society. It is deadly in the kingdom of God. God is not looking for people who are independent, he's looking for people who are dependent and desperate on him, and what he will do is he won't just fill you with character, he'll fill you with real power. So you walk through this world and you have a different operating system than everyone else. You can face rejection, you can face hardship, you can face persecution, but your eyes are set toward the prize, which is Jesus Christ, and everything else becomes rubbish to you, not because you do it in your own strength, but because you're available and honest and you bring Jesus into those dark spaces. I just wanna say this, because this might be encouraging to some of you, you know, um, Isaiah chapter eight has become one of the most meaningful verses, but you know how it starts off in Isaiah chapter eight, one, it says in the year that King Uzziah died in the year that King Uzziah died. Now you've got to think that that's a pretty big time if they're describing that event as the year that King Uzziah died. And I imagine if you talk to every one of us, there are years that aren't described by the calendar impact, but sort of on the, 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 relational impact or the things that you experienced in that year, for instance, If you lost a loved one, you don't just say it was in 2012, you talk about the year you lost a loved one. If I said to you, Twin Towers, you would just pick the date, September 11th, because there are certain events that are so monumental that you don't describe them by the date, you describe them by the event. And what's so interesting is I never picked this up, but it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, you know what it says right after? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Whatever feels like it is a setback and one of those events in your life that you carry or you will carry in the new year, can I encourage you that those setbacks are often places where God sets up the greatest revelation of him in ways that he never could have before. And so for me, do you know what that was last year? In the year of anxiety, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. What is that for you? In the year of job crisis, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year of health issues, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year of this dry season relationally, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year of apathy and problems, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Can I encourage you that oftentimes those seasons where it feels like there is no hope, those dark spaces become the setup for some of the greatest fruit and power in your life ever. But you've got to see that other part. You've got to allow God to redeem that space, those painful things, and allow Him to transform it. Finally, I'll just say this: sometimes transformation happens in a moment, and other times it's a process. I'll just encourage you with this: if you're anything like me, people would talk for years. I get freaked out, so th- this might be one of the most helpful things. But for years, people be like, "Where's your moment, man? Like, when did you encounter God?" People will like label it's July seventeenth, twenty six, or whatever, and I never really had a moment. Maybe because just You know, I needed a whole lot of Jesus (laughs) in my life. But people will talk about moments, and other people go, you sit in this room, and you go, I don't know if I have one particular moment. Because in the Bible, what you find is sometimes there is instant breakthrough, and other times it's a process. What's interesting, in Mark chapter eight, there's this miracle that Jesus performs. He takes the blind man, and he ends up spitting on this mud. If you remember the story, he, he rubs it on this guy's eyes, and then all of a sudden, what happens is, it says the guy can... See, partially. Now you gotta ask the question, was there something wrong? Was Jesus healing insufficient? Was his power limited? And we know theologically that isn't true. So in essence, I love what Tim Keller said. He said, some people have this moment where they encounter God and everything changes, and other people, it's a process. It takes several touches of God before they awaken. And what I've found is there are some people, but because you have not awakened to the kingdom of God in ways that you thought, You've kind of dismissed your journey and you think you're just destined to stay where you are. And let me just encourage you, maybe this morning is one of those supernatural touches that give you sight towards the kingdom of God in ways that you never had possible because it's sometimes a breakthrough and sometimes it's a process. Think about the Israelites. They have breakthrough when the Red Sea, the Red sea departs, but then they have this process of 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness. And I love what one commentator said. He said it took God one night to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites because sometimes it's a process. Sometimes you pray and God heals you in that moment and other times it's a journey where you just have to keep trusting him. But can I encourage you, do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. God is in the business of transforming available people. I'll just end with this. I'll tell you this. You know, the other day I had a moment where I was walking around my neighborhood, my sweet girls, Sailor and Gray, they wanted to come with me. I said, no, no, I gotta process some things. So I walked for about an hour and a half. I got back up to the driveway and I had completely forgotten that I had told them we were gonna go on a walk. But as soon as I made it up that little walkway, the door kicks open and this is what I was greeted with right here. And I want you to know they're true Texans because it was like 65 degrees that day and we're, <laughs> we're decked out. But you know, I got past that little walkway and the Holy Spirit just said this one simple thing to me. He said, your daughters believe the word of their father. And then he just whispered to me, do you believe the word of your heavenly father? Because the truth of the matter is for me oftentimes... There are things that haven't moved into fruition that I just think won't happen. And can I encourage you, if God has given you a promise, if there is a word in the Bible, if God has given you a word, sometimes it will happen tomorrow, sometimes it might take a season. But remember the Israelites, they had to walk faithfully for seven days. What would happen if they gave up on the sixth day? They'd have missed the breakthrough. I'm telling you, God is faithful, faithful, faithful to his word. You hold on to those promises. In fact, one of those promises that I caught myself thinking about was about my son. He has dyslexia, he has this learning disability, and I just felt like I was carrying all this weight. The Holy Spirit said to me, I'm a better father than you. Trust me. You have one invitation this morning, not to think about all the million tasks that need to be done, but to focus on Jesus. He is not just the means, he is the end. And I encourage you with this, everyone who is knocked has not been refused. Everyone who has begged and asked has not been rejected. Those who are faithful and persistent, they are always filled up. It is the hungry who are filled up. It is the available that get all of God. It is the desperate that discover God. So as we close out, this is what I wanna do. If you're in a place where you just want more of God, you're in a dry spot, you're in a season of longing for him, what I wanna do is I just wanna pray a prayer over you And kind of as your response is saying, I'm letting go of my own strength and I'm stepping into the spirit. What I'd love to do is just ask you to stand if that's you, no pressure if that's not you, but stand if you just say, hey, I want more of God in this new year. I want to get into a space where I'm desperate for him in new and fresh ways. I'm in a dry spot, I'm in a season where I just need more of him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. God, we're thankful, we're thankful, thankful that you are faithful to your word. So we're asking as we stand before you, fill us. God, we're asking as we are available for you to pour out your spirit and to begin to fan into flame the word of God, the spirit of God, so that we don't just have character in this new year, but we also have power, real spiritual power. So God, we thank you that that this morning we don't have to do a series of equations, there's not a problem we have to solve, there's not three steps we need to do, we simply need to behold you, God, and allow your love to take over in our lives. So I pray for people who've heard the gospel their whole life, this morning something would shake and break and shift in us that it would be about one thing and one thing only this year. Seeing you high and lifted up, building our lives around you. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We are asking, we are knocking. And God, in this moment, we, we thank you. We sense your spirit. And this is our way of saying, we're not gonna be perfect, there's gonna be setbacks, but this is just our way of declaring to you this morning, God, we're, we're giving our hearts to you. And we'll probably have to do this a lot this week and next month. But this is just our way of saying, Jesus, you can have it all. So I pray blessings. I pray favor. I pray the goodness, the love, the power of God over each and every person. It is in the mighty, wonderful, amazing, great name of Jesus that we all agree and say amen.